Hey y'all, welcome back to Chats in the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. Have you ever felt this anxiety, this pit at the bottom of your stomach, whenever you've had to get up and stand up in front of a crowd and speak? I know I have. Today, I'm talking with Brendan. He is the founder of Master Talk, and basically, Master Talk is a course about public speaking, and it's a YouTube channel that he gives away tips on how to get up in front of people for free. Y'all, I don't know about you, but in this day and age, to find someone who gives away tips for free is a rarity. And I really enjoy talking with Brendan. Um, he does have a cold, so it's kind of nasally, and he does wipe his nose a few times as we're talking. But he's in Canada, and he's really great, and he does give some amazing tips. So I hope you really enjoyed the talk, and you know what I need you to do right now? That's right, I need you to start listening. Welcome back to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today, I'm joined by someone who actually, if you had told me a couple of years ago that I would actually be doing a chat from the Blog Cabin about public speaking, I would have told you you were crazy because that was my worst fear whatsoever. So why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you actually you do? <laughs> of course, Mel. It's such a pleasure to be here. So my name is Brendan. I'm the founder of Master Talk, which is a YouTube channel I started to help the world master the art of communication and public speaking. Now I got started I, really quickly, I guess, was when I was in university, I, I used to do these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were playing basketball or baseball or some other sport I didn't understand. I applied that same competitive spirit, but to presentations. So for three years, presented a bunch of times, coached a bunch of people. And then I had the idea to, to make a YouTube channel on the topic because I realized a lot of the information out there was really bad and I never looked back ever since. So honestly, so you said you were an, you weren't into sports, so you decided to get into public speaking. Were you ever scared? Were you always the type of person that could talk off the top of your head? Oh, God, no. no. So I, I'm based in a city called Montreal, Melissa. And uh, let's just say in Montreal, French is a required language. You need to know how to speak it. So when I grew up as a kid, early on, my parents looked at me and they said, buddy, you need to learn how to speak French. So we're going to put you in a French education system, which, of course, I'm very grateful for today. You know, I speak more than one language. But at the time, it wasn't so fun. Right. Imagine already being uncomfortable with presentations, but also presenting in a language you don't know. Mm. Not the funnest thing in the world, let me tell you. So it was it was definitely a challenge growing up, but but I think the message that I want to share with everyone is if I could do it, why can't you? 
Yeah. So how did you overcome it? Yeah, the way that I overcame it and overall is this idea that if the message we have to share with the world, if our desire to master public speaking is more important than the fear, because the fear will always be there. But if the desire you have is much higher, if what you want is more important, you will end up achieving the result that you want. So at the beginning, it was, I really wanted to win competitions. As a very competitive person, I was, wasn't really good at speaking. My first couple of competitions, I still had my oversized suit from prom and a tie that let's just say didn't stop on my belt. I really didn't know what I was doing. I was very lost. But I really wanted to win. And then over time, it turned into what it is today with Master Talk, where now my my why in life, the reason why my, I believe my message matters, is because no one's sharing this information for free. And I think that's crazy. Right? So it's about developing that belief system and saying, no, 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 we're going to be scared of public speaking. But as long as the message is more important, the same way you probably overcame a lot of mental blocks to start this show, mm -hmm. that we can overcome it and get through the pain and, and really make an impact in the world. It's so funny that you're talking about a competition because actually that's how it started. I was working with a mindset coach and she had a competition and she was like, okay, you get 10 points if you go on live and talk about one of your values. And so that's how it actually started is I brought a friend on with me and I said, you know what? It's easier if you're talking with someone and instead of talking to by yourself. So I had a friend come on and we chatted about friendship and it, the bug hit and I was like, okay, from then on, it's on. But if you'd asked me a year ago, I would not have been doing chats from the block habit. Oh, that that's such a good point. You know, Melissa, it's this idea of how do we create a system in which we're comfortable speaking? So for you, it was having a friend. Mm -hmm. For me too, by the way, when I record my videos for YouTube, that's my cheat code. I, d I never record them alone. There's a guy behind the camera that I get dinner with after we film. He's my best friend. So I'm always presenting to him. So if there's an audience, if you can create a scenario that allows you to take action, go for it. I love that example you gave. I think it's great. Yeah. So tell us about some of the tips that you can talk, that we can use. Because you said you give them away for free. So let's chat about that. Of course. Yeah. Everything's, everything's free. So the idea is, uh, let me give you the easiest trick in the book. If you apply this method, for any presentation for the rest of your life, it will make your presentations 10 times better. And the strategy is called the puzzle method. Public speaking was like a jigsaw puzzle. You know those pieces you kind of put together as kids? Probably now because mm -hmm. of COVID, everyone's doing puzzles. Mm -hmm. So if I asked you, Melissa, kind of as a, as a quick question, which pieces would you start with first if you were working on a puzzle? I always start on the outer edges. I love that. And, and what would be the rationale behind that? Because then that way you at least have the framework and then you can fill in other places. Exactly. Perfect. So now the question to ask ourselves is why don't we do that in public speaking? We have a presentation at work, at school, in the boardroom, in the classroom. So what do we do? We start with the middle first. We mm -hmm. shove a bunch of content. Shove, 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 shove. We get to the presentation. We ramble, ramble through the entire thing. We get to the last slide, and it sounds something like this. Uh, yeah, so thanks. That's probably 95% of all the presentations I've heard. But there's an easy way to fix this. Start with the edges first. Treat your presentations like a jigsaw puzzle. 
practice your introduction 20 times. Mm. Not one time, not three times. Do it 25 times. Do it 20 times. It's actually not that hard. It'll take you 30 minutes. Each introduction's a minute. It's not that long. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie. Right. Same thing. 20 to 25 times the conclusion. I actually recommend my clients do it 50 times. But sure, whatever you're comfortable with, just do it more than once. And then you look at your presentation after an hour or so and you go, wow, my presentation is actually not so bad. My introduction's pretty good. I've never, I've never done it 25 times. So, so now it's good. So now you have this confidence that you didn't have before. And then you say, now I can tackle the middle. Now I'm comfortable figuring out what the content is. The last point to that framework is understanding the following. I don't know about you, but if I got a 3,000-piece puzzle, I ain't going to do it alone. Mm-hmm. That's long, especially finding all the corner pieces. So work together as a team. You don't need a coach for this. Get a group of friends. Get a community. Get a joint Toastmasters club. Get some people who help you with your keynote, who help you and criticize your content so that you can keep working on and get better. Even to this day as a professional speaker, my friends from university still give me advice on my keynotes. So build that community around you and you'll master public speaking pretty quickly. So I love how you said get a community to help you, but you have to be open for criticism as well, right? Absolutely. Because I know a lot of people are like, I'm not going to change it. They don't like it, but I'm not going to change it. So you have to be open. 100%. You know, you know what I always say is what the best speakers in the world do. It, actually, let me rephrase that. The great speakers do is they talk to their audience. But the best speakers in the world do is they have dinner with them. They understand their psychology of who they are, who they aspire to be. What do they dream about? What are they trying to achieve in their lives? They have deep, meaningful conversations with them off stage. So when they go on stage, it feels like a dinner conversation when you talk to them. So notice how when I started, you know, and I started guesting on shows, I was horrible. You know, I would talk about complex lingo. You know, you want the seven steps, Melissa, on how to structure a speech. Let mm-hmm. me go into all this. It's just so complicated. And then one day, a six-year-old came up to me. That was in, the, in a crowd I was speaking to and just asked me the best question I ever got asked, which is, what's a CEO? What's a this? What's a that? I don't get it. And I just went, right. I got to simplify my stuff. So now with puzzle, which is a lot easier version of what I used to teach people, now anyone who doesn't who is new to public speaking can go, I never thought of it that way. Those are the light bulbs that you only get when you have deep, meaningful conversations to see if your ideas are landing in the way your audience wants them to land for them. I love that. So what's another tip besides the puzzle method? Oh yeah, I got a bunch more. But but the point that I want to drive, because I, I share everything for free, is I want people to take action on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Just puzzle. Okay, I, I, I've coached people from like six to 60, right? 90%, 95% of everyone I've coached doesn't apply this strategy. So if you just do puzzle, you'll already see immediate results in your communication skills. So let's move on to the next thing. I would say another tip that can really help people is to have a clear understanding of why communication matters in your life. Because I think what a lot of people miss, Melissa, is that public speaking is not just about presentations. It's about every interaction you have in your life. Mm-hmm. 
the great conversations you have with your friends, the tough conversations you have with your family, the way that you talk to the mailman, to the person that delivers pizza for you. Every interaction you have is communication. And the more you realize that, the more you start to understand that communication improves not just the quality of your presentations, but the quality of your life. Once you get into that mind space, life becomes a lot better too. So the question I always ask people to think about is the following. How would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator? If you were one of the best speakers on the planet, if, you, if every time you walked in the room, even if that room is a dinner, dining table at your house, how would the world change? How would your relationships improve? And if you can really hone in on why communication matters to you personally, that's when you'll start to watch the videos. That's when you'll join the Toastmasters Club, and that's when you'll start to take action. I know a lot of people are scared. They're afraid that people are not going to want to hear what they have to say. So basically, you just have to get out of your own head and just jump in. Absolutely. And, and I would say as an added to that, because it's a great point, taking action, is have the conversations with the people who you actually want to serve. I thought Master Talk was the stupidest idea. You know, I was making YouTube videos in my mother's basement on communication and public speaking. People watch Netflix. They don't watch communication tips on YouTube. Who's going to listen to me? So why did I keep going? Yeah. I kept going because at the time, the seven people who were subscribed to my YouTube channel, I knew who they were. Mm. They were my friends from university who were literally watching me every single week. I didn't know why they were watching. I was like, oh, my audio sucks. Everything sucks. I had no budget. But they kept watching. I asked them why. I was having dinner with them. You know, teach what you preach. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was like, why do you listen to me? They said, you know, Brent, your, your video quality does suck. It doesn't suck anymore, but at the beginning it did. But your tips don't suck. Your content's really good. Like, no, I've never seen anything like this. And I just went, let these seven people think that. There's probably a couple more people in it. You know, we, the rest was history, right? There's a lot more than seven people who are listening to my stuff these days. But that's the point I want to drive is for you to stay motivated, intrinsic motivation isn't enough. Other people need to tell you why your ideas matter. Mm. Right? So think about your, your content, Melissa. I'm sure at the beginning, you know, as you alluded to very well, you said, I don't want to create, uh, I'm nervous. But I guarantee, I would bet like, you know, $10 that, that there's there's somebody every week who messages you who maybe is a mom. I don't want to generalize. Mm -hmm. It could be a different, it could be a different market. You know, like, uh, you know, women between the ages of your demographic go up to you and say, you know, Melissa, you know, after I had kids, after I started getting a mortgage, you know, I thought, I thought it was over for me. I, I didn't think that I could build a business mm -hmm. until you showed me the way, you know, it was you. I mean, if you could, could have, could have conversation from a, a log cabin, and build a business and, and have kids and balance all these things. I can too. So thank you for doing what you do. It's when you hear those people tell you that, that you go, okay, I don't care if seven people are listening to this. I need to keep doing this. And there's probably more than seven today, but that's the point I'm driving. Yeah. I, honestly, it hits home. I actually did for my 25th episode. I interviewed, I'm a mom of three girls. They're young there adults. You. They're ages 25 through 18. Awesome. And I interviewed them and somebody asked a question about 
what did they learn from their dad and what did they learn from me? And the biggest thing they said they learned from me, which totally shocked me was perseverance, how to build something from nothing. And it just like was a big eye opener for me that they were watching me. And there's been several friends that say, you found your groove. This is your calling. You're doing what you're supposed to do. And if you, like I said, if you told me a year ago, I would have said, uh -uh, no way it's not happening. See? So, and same thing with me, by the way. You know, I'm the speech coach. I should I should be telling you that I have all my ducks in the right order. Not true at all. You know, I was one of the youngest people in my industry when I entered it. If anyone had secured insecurity, not security, insecurity, mm -hmm. definitely me. You know, I was coaching people who were in their 40s on how to speak. I had a lot of doubt. But I think what helped me overcome it was realizing who I was doing it for. And for me, it was, you know, for you, it's it's the mother who, who is struggling to, to, to leave that identity and to mm -hmm. say, I can be more than just a mother. And for me, it's, you know, the 16-year-old girl in high school who's getting her life started, who wants to master communication, but can't afford a speech coach, mm -hmm. doesn't have the resources to, to spend money on somebody like me. I couldn't afford me five years ago. And the only resources she has is a bunch of old white dudes in their 70s on YouTube. So I have to create the videos for her because nobody else will. So once you're very clear on who you're serving, that insecurity, that doubt, that fear will, will still be there, but it won't be as strong as it used to be. That's for sure. So how are you able, are you able to support yourself through speech coaching? I'm very close. I'm very close. I'm like 70 percent there I, I i've almost replaced my full-time income but but for now it's a side hustle so i'll probably go full-time next year something like that so where do you find clients at besides your youtube video do they find you through youtube or is it referrals or what you got it it's it's a mix of i would say two different things one is de definitely you know podcasts youtube channels definitely one part but i'd say most of my clients come from joint ventures so i you know i have a business coach and a leadership coach that i work with and he just woke up one day and he was like, well, all the speech coaches I hired before weren't really good. So why don't you just come and, and, and coach my executives? That's how I, I built my practice uh, from there. So I would say most of it's word of mouth for sure. So you said you started with seven subscribers. How many subscribers do you have now? Oh, I, I think I lost count. Uh, something like, I, I don't like to keep track of that number. It's, it's not good for you, but I think it's mm -hmm. 5,000 something. Okay, so you obviously built in. And how long ago did you start this business? And did you start your YouTube channel? I'm going up on two years now. So in three weeks, I'll be at two years. I started two years ago. See, going from seven to 5,000 in two years, I don't think that's, that's not too shabby. I mean, that's pretty good. I appreciate that, yeah. So why were, what was your, like you said, you started it so that people could have that free resource. But why did you decide to go the freeway and not the paid way. Yeah, so so the approach that I took to this, Melissa, was I never really wanted to make it a business. Like my day job is pretty good. Like I, you know, I, I work as a you know in the corporate world and and I do very well for myself. So for me, Mastruck was it was never meant to be a business. It was just hey, you know, I'm noticing a lot of these teenagers that I do pro bono work for, you know, at like schools or nonprofits or leadership programs, and they don't have access to the right tools. Might as well just create something in my free time. I'm already making good money. So for me, it was it was always about being generous up front, right? Just adding value. But because I did that, you know, the unintended consequence was I started getting a lot of business. You know, some people started messaging me, like, 
especially when I went professional and I started making a lot more high quality videos. You know, they would ask me things like, hey, do you do coaching? And I said, uh, yeah. And they, they were like, how much do you charge? And I just went, I'm supposed to charge for this? <laughs> that's that's kind of how I built a, a business out of it. But that's the advice I give people is always be willing to give away everything for free because it's by doing that that people trust you. Mm. And it's by doing that that people go, I'm comfortable paying this person. And I've signed very high ticket packages from from just the YouTube channel. And so I think the key is like, if you're the most gen, and that's how our sport works, you mm. know, and that's what's that's what's beautiful about it. The more generous you are, the more people that come to you for work. That's why I share all my tips for free. I don't hide anything. I'm pretty open book. Because even if you can't afford me, I don't really care. Watch my free YouTube videos. Go go share your ideas with the world, anyways. That's my hope for the world. So obviously with this, the COVID, the pandemic, we're on a lot of Zoom calls, a lot of in-person, you know, meetings that are not in person, but on the computer. How do we get to where we com we're comfortable speaking to a computer? Absolutely. So yeah, online presentations are definitely challenging, Melissa. I would say the biggest difference is that the energy that you bring in an in-person room is very different than online because there's nobody in the room. Mm -hmm. Right. So the only strategy that really matters is the following. Understand why online presentations are more challenging. It's harder for you to draw on that energy. So there's a couple of things that you can do to make that a better experience. One easy thing you could do is keep always keep your eyes on the lens. So notice I'm always looking at the camera lens mm -hmm. when I'm speaking. So it gives the illusion that I'm looking at everyone directly. So one easy trick you can do to keep looking at the lens is take a picture of somebody that you love mm. or a favorite food, put it next to the lens. So that way you're always looking at it. Because that solves an easy problem. The second thing is have other people give you feedback on how you're doing in a presentation. And ideally, if you know them, the better. So one thing I used to do uh, when I used to do live streams is I would actually put, I would plug people I knew in the stream who would support me and just go, hey, Brendan, keep it up. So it really felt like I was talking to somebody that mm -hmm. I knew the person there. So I, I would present with the same amount of energy. Now now I've practiced this over time so I can show up that energy even if we're on a screen mm -hmm. right now. But but that's what I recommend people is, is find a way to hack it. Same thing with my YouTube videos. I never do them alone. I, I do them with a friend. So there's always a way to work around it. But I would say in this situation where you're alone and you're doing an online presentation, get some folks who you do know personally, put them in the room and have them support you. And then you can show up with energy because you know they're there. I love that. But honestly, I want to put a little disclaimer right there for the food. Don't put the food up if you're hungry because that's what <laughs> you're focusing on, right? <laughs> no, it's giving me that tip. That's really good. I like that add-on. Absolutely agreed. Because honestly, if you're hungry and you're looking at the food, you're going to be more concentrated <laughs> on what you're going to be eating and oh, my goodness, it's going to be over so I can eat, right? That's a great point. Never thought of it that way. <laughs> so what about your backgrounds like when you're on a call? You know, obviously you don't want a lot of clutter in the background, but let's talk about that. Yeah, for, for me, I, I, you know, I, I don't worry too much about the background, the sense that as long as people can see you and it's well lit and there's nothing offensive in the background, you're good. And of course, if you're in a situation where you just have a horrendous, like it's just not working out for you in your house and the setup just isn't good. Like right now, this is just a wall in my house. Mm hmm. Right. So, so it just looks professional in that way. But for those of you who just don't have that wall, 
just create get virtual uh, backgrounds, especially if you're on a Zoom call. You can just download those templates. It takes it takes a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes to set up. It's not that hard. Yeah. So um, let's talk about the dress, obviously, because I know with the Zoom call, like you basically from here up basically is what you're worried about. But when you're actually presenting in person, hopefully after COVID or soon we'll be able to present in person. How do you suggest you dress? Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's talk about now and then after. So, so now it's simple. Always, always. Actually, it's the same advice for both situations. It's just in in person, you probably want to dress in full rather than half. It is the following: just match the dress code of the venue. So, one thing I always do is I always get up. I always get on a call with one of the organizers or somebody who's there, especially if I'm speaking, uh, to just figure out what to be. What kind of conference is this? If they go to a real estate conference, I'll probably go business professional. You know, put a tie on, look really clean, put a nice suit on. But if it's a podcast appearance, I already know it's very casual. Like I don't need to put the same suits I do for my YouTube videos. I don't need to be uh, super flashy. I just need to show up and add value. So, so it's always different. You know, the context is going to change. So you always want to just talk to somebody who knows and, and just replicate it. Very simple. And another pro tip I can give you, and this is something I implement as well. I just ask the person who's the best well-dressed in my network to just help me. Like the suits that I have in, in my YouTube channel, somebody else actually picked them for me. And you don't need to spend money on this. Just ask a friend. I'm sure they would give you advice on how to dress as long as they look, they're, they're well-dressed themselves and you'll be fine. Okay. So now how do you pump yourself up to go speak? Because I think a lot of people, they get into their own heads and so they let that anxiety control them. So it ruins, kind of ruins and rules the re their presentation. So how do you pump yourself up so you're out of your own head before presentation? Absolutely. Everyone's got their thing. For me, what pumps me up is transformation. Like I, I think what really, what really changes my life and what really gets me excited rather is the under, because you know, I've done a lot of shows, right? So I know mm -hmm. at the end of the show, the host is going to go, wow. Like I never heard of public speaking in that way. Like the puzzle method. These are like super simple, super actual. So it's because I hear that all the time, before I get into a conversation, I just remind myself of all of the good feedback I get. And that really pumps me up. Like, wow, imagine all the moms here who are scared of public speaking. You don't want to get on camera. And, you know, you've probably been trying months to convince them. You're like, guys, it's not that hard. Just get them. And, you know, it took me to be here to convince them. You know, so I live for those moments. And I want everyone else to live for those moments. I don't think there's a glass of water or a breathing exercise that can save you in public speaking or a power posing exercise. I, th I think it's more about just thinking about the transformation that you could provide people, that one tip, that one change. That's what really gets me excited. And that's why I'm such a big advocate, by the way, of having dinner with your guests, having dinner with the people that you want to serve. Even if those dinners are virtual now, getting to know them and seeing their eyes light up that's a moment that uh, they'll, they'll never change. And I think that's why people like Tony Robbins and Gary Vee and all these other people still do presentations, still run seminars and transform average people one-on-one -on -one because Tony just lives for those moments and he'll do that until he dies. Wow. Now, since we're chatting, I have to ask you, since you give feedback about you know people with public speaking, feedback for me? I think you're an excellent communicator, if I'm being honest, Melissa. And, and it's and it, But I think one thing I can comment on is why you're good. The okay. reason you're good is because you do this a lot. When you're in episode one, 
and you're talking to a stranger you've never met on a Zoom call. So it probably sounded something like this. Uh, hey guys, uh, this is uh, Melissa. I'm here with uh, Brendan. And so, so it's very awkward. You're like, I don't know this guy and I have to talk to him as if I do. But then when you're at episode 25, because you're always doing the same thing over and over again, you start to realize that 95% of all the guests you have on the show are actually really nice people. Mm-hmm. Right? They're very easygoing. You know, at least I hope I'm giving that impression. You know, they're very you kind. <laughs> right? Thank you. So, so, so it's like it's like you almost know them almost in a bizarre way. So you're a lot more comfortable. And it shows through the way that you speak. So so I think the 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 only feedback I can give you is to start visualizing who you want to be at episode 100. Start looking at the people you admire in this space that have podcasts that you're a raving fan of and start to really dissect their communication style. So for me, a couple examples of those people, it's people like Lewis Howes, people like Seth Godin, people like Gary Vaynerchuk for me anyways, and people like Scott Harrison, who's the CEO of Charity Water. Those are the people I model my communication style off of. So for you, it might be completely different. It might be Brene Brown. It might be Susan Cain. Mm. It might be a mompreneur that you really admire. And by looking at the way they speak, because Brene is a very fierce speaker, maybe that's something a style you want to go into. And you start to just take a little bit from them. And then over time, you'll build your own identity. I love that. And actually, I'm almost up to the 100th episode. So, <laughs> Oh, damn. That's amazing. Because I remember you said 25 at some point. So it's great that you had 100. That's yeah. Um, I just actually, I have one scheduled. And I think it, I just did it right before we came on. And then I scheduled it. And I think it's at 84 right now. So that's awesome. So there's There's been a lot of people coming through. Now, let's talk about the technical part. Like if you're doing zoom calls or anything like that the feedback um because i know sometimes the people may have their mics on way too or their um sound on way too high and you get a feedback how can we work with that how can we kind of like communicate so we're not really communicating that hey you know what in the middle of the podcast or in the middle of the show hey i really need you to turn your speaker down you know how can we adjust that yeah, generally speaking, let's go with the easy stuff first. Try and figure that out before it starts. So one thing I always like to do is I always like to do sound checks five, ten minutes before just to make sure it's good so I can adjust along the way. One other thing that you can do is there's two other ways you can do this. One is you can message in the chat and see if they see it. And if they don't see it, which is likely, unfortunately, at some point what you can do at the end of a question like let them answer the question at the end of that question you could say oh let's just pause it really quickly and remember this part won't be in the show i'll edit it out could you just change your mic really quickly just ask it with very low vocal tones be very respectful i mean i've had i've had that happen to me a couple of times at the beginning and i just went yeah sure i'll just change the volume the amps right there <laughs> so so that's not a big deal as long as you don't make it one that's all yeah See, that's because I think that's the biggest thing I get sometimes is there's a lot, especially if there's like six people on the, the call, there's a lot of feedback because I always say, hey, can you guys mute your mic before? And if you start talking, then you can unmute yourself. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and Yeah, exactly. It's super easy. And by the way, for those who forget, which is totally normal also, some people are just not on the computer. What's great about being a host is you just mute them yourself. Yeah, that's true. So is there any more tips that you want to share with us? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of tips out there. But I, I would say the big thing at the end of the day for, for those who are really getting started is to really have those dinner conversations. Talk to the people you want to serve because it's through those people that will, that will incentivize you 
to practice public speaking. If I never did case competitions, I would not be the speaker I am today, period. Because we had a huge accountability group. And I was supposed to be the best speaker in the class. Because if I wasn't, the other people wouldn't try and make themselves better. So I always had that constant pressure in a good way to be better and better every day. And that's what led to the experience that I have today. So that's what I want for everyone. But figure out what on a scale that works for you. So if you have a vision for the world, team up with people who are aligned with that. Who say, hey, let's hold each other accountable today. How about we give a presentation every week or you do a podcast, I'll listen to and give you feedback. And you don't need to be an expert on this. You just need to be consistent with it. And that's what you've demonstrated through your show, Melissa. When you're episode one, sure, you might not be the best communicator, but when you're at episode 86, you know what you're talking about. You're a lot more, you flow much better. You know what questions to ask. You know how to facilitate conversation. And Melissa and myself are not the exceptions to the rule. We're the norm. Everyone can do this. You just need to have a strong reason why to do it. And it comes through practice as well, right? Absolutely. So how would people go about wanting to hire you if they want to work with you for their public speaking? Yeah, absolutely. For me, the best way of getting in touch is definitely the YouTube channel. All you got to do is go on YouTube and type master talk in one word. And you'll find me right there. All my contact details, if you want to email me, send me an Instagram DM, all of that's there. So feel free to check out those free videos and hope uh, hope they add a lot of value to you. So how many videos do you have on your YouTube channel? A lot. I'm, I'm going on 100 now. So let's talk about your YouTube channel. How You said the very beginning, it was like the video, the audio was off, the video, you know, I mean, the video was off, everything. How did you go about making it better? And what was the cost for that? Because I know a lot of people were probably thinking they want to do a YouTube channel or a podcast or something. So what's the cost? Uh, absolutely. So, so it really depends. Everyone's got their own thing. Everyone has their own outcomes, but I'm happy to share mine. And I don't recommend my approach because okay? I, I don't think it's going to apply for most people listening. So I'm, I'm someone who's very serious about YouTube as a platform. So I actually invest a lot of the coaching revenue I make back into the channel, even if the channel isn't actually making me money, because I want, I want those resources to be available for people who can't afford me. It's just a, one of my core values. So I spend a lot of money on YouTube. So I don't think uh, that number is, is probably going to scare off a lot of people. But what I would say at the beginning is you, you want to start with nothing. You know, I literally started with this. Mm. I'd even have these lights. Right, I, I, I was just literally there in my mother's basement. I just made videos. What you really want to start honing on is the skill of presenting better. Everyone here wants to be a thought leader, a coach, provide a service. So for you, editing is not the game. You can hire somebody else to do that. It's very time consuming. I've never edited a single video since I started the channel. At the beginning, you want to learn how to present on camera. That's the focus. Make a video every week, every two weeks. Interview people if that's what you're more comfortable with, like Melissa's doing right now. And then over time, as you get better in your posting, then you can start to take YouTube more seriously and invest more money into it. So for example, for me, the first seven months of my YouTube channel, the audio was still through here. Really bad. But because I got really good and I started getting more budget, then I invested in a DSLR, which is like an eight, a $700 camera, and I bought a $100 mic. So, so I invested a bit more, and, and now I have a full production team. So now I, I spend a lot more money than that. But So, so yeah, I, I think the advice I have for people is start with, start with what you have just to get better. 
with communication. Because even if you don't want to take YouTube seriously, those mm -hmm. skills will just help you in general when you're presenting in a webinar, when you're speaking at a conference, when you're guesting on a podcast. So just do it for the sake of warming up. And then later, if a couple of months down the road, you realize that you want to take YouTube more seriously, then you want to start looking into other costs, like upgrading your camera or getting an external mic. So what are some of the things that you suggest for people that want to start upgrading their cost? What are some of the, the tools they should get? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it was getting a camera. Like I, I just had a phone really and a tripod and it sucked. I hated it. I was doing it for that for six months. For six months, I was using just that. No other gear. And I just said, oh, I should probably use lights. So I was making money for my corporate job and I just invested a bit of money and I said, oh, let me buy a camera. Let me buy this. So I would say the best first investment is to, is to always make for your YouTube channels, depending on whether or not you want to film it, is, is definitely a good camera. You don't need to spend a lot of money on it, like 700, 800, 600 bucks or better. Ask somebody in your friend group to just lend you one. Mm -hmm. Somebody out there that you're chummy chummy with, that your girlfriend's with, that will give you, they'll just give you their camera, right? So that's like the first thing to do. And then the other thing after that is just to buy a good mic, you know, like a Rode or, or something else. You could do internet research on this, you know, have like a $200 budget for that. And that's it. And once again, if you know the right people and you don't even have to spend that, you just ask the, the people and you just post on Facebook. Hey guys, I need a camera. Does anyone have one? They'll think, yeah, I'll just give it to you. And there you go. So you suggest taking, getting a DSLR camera instead of a video camera. Uh, honestly, I'm not a stickler on any of this, Melissa. So for, for me, it's really like stick with what you have, uh, upgrade to what you got, and then over time, ask yourself what your strategy is. So I'll give an example with me. I hate the video making process, right? I don't want to edit videos. I, I barely can't keep up. Like for me, it's like I just want to add value to people and make really good content. So because of that, I outsourced everything. So my best friend does all my production. He does everything A to Z. I just write the scripts. I show up and I just speak on camera and I walk out. That's it. He sets up everything for me. But I pay him a premium for that, right? It's not cheap. So for everyone who's listening, you need to figure out what that medium is for you, what your budget is. If your budget is $1,000 a year, then your strategy is going to be very different than if your budget is $10,000 a year plus like it is for me, right? So for $1,000, I would say just get a camera present every week, have somebody in the audience who maybe have a sis your sister or your sibling or somebody in your house kind of just pressing record for you and just go from there. But I think the biggest thing most people miss on, on YouTube is they just don't post enough. Mm. You just got to start posting every week like you're doing with the show. So, so like, let's say something like you, I would recommend something completely different than someone who's listening. So for you, I would say you need to take YouTube more seriously. You need to start making solo episodes. You need to start making like like stuff that I'm doing. You need to start to getting mm -hmm. that level. But the reason you're qualified for that advice is because you've done the work. You've mm -hmm. done 86 episodes. You're actually taking action here. Most people haven't even started a show yet. So for most people, I wouldn't recommend that. I would just say, hey, start a show, do something with your phone, and then work your way up to the level that you're doing this now with. I love that. Wow. You've given me so much to think about. I mean, do you have any other strategies or tips or quick tips that you can share with us? Yeah, I would say quick tip for you is that, that what you need to start thinking about is how do you become a thought leader on YouTube? Mm -hmm. So even if nobody's watching you, the beauty of YouTube on, on that platform, because when you're getting started, nobody is, is 
when you have prospective clients and you're answering the questions, what's amazing about YouTube is you can make a full video on that and you can share that forever. So if 10 prospects message you and say, hey, Melissa, how do I start a business? Hey, Melissa, how do I think about writing a blog? You already made a video on that that people can find. So you just send them the video link. They don't need a YouTube account. And you can add value without wasting your time. So that's what I would say for you. That would be the big benefit of YouTube. Even if you don't want to take it seriously as a platform, you can make 10 videos. Because on a Facebook, on a LinkedIn, your videos get lost. Mm -hmm. Like nobody can go in your profile and find it. Res me. You just click on Master Talk. All my videos flip. It takes you 10 seconds to flip through. I have playlists. They're already pre-made. You click them. You consume. That's it. You're done. No friction. Whereas with everything else, you need a LinkedIn account. You need an Instagram account. You need a Facebook account. You don't have that issue with YouTube. You just make great stuff, share it with prospects, and you get your ROI back really quickly. Now, that brings us to another point. You talk about you make you have a list of YouTube videos. So how do you go about doing that? Absolutely. So, so the way that I figure out co content ideas, right? Like, how do I figure that stuff mm -hmm. out? Absolutely. Ask your audience. They know. You know, one thing is usually thought leaders who go on YouTube generally have coached for a while before they start making content. So, it's in my case, I had three years of coaching experience under my belt before I started YouTube. And I don't, I don't, I don't recommend you need to wait that long. It just so happened with my life. I, I could have easily started YouTube six months into coaching or three months into coaching. But coaching and, and, and getting people results allows you to do is it allows you to figure out what questions they're actually asking you. Like for you, I'm sure you already have your list of, you just haven't written them down. The mm -hmm. top 20 questions you get for your business. What is the top 20 things people ask you? Hey, Melissa, how do you start a blog? Hey, Melissa, how do you annotate something? Or, or how, do you, how, do you, how do you make a money? How do you make money as a lifestyle entrepreneur? All that stuff. And you just make videos on each of those things. And you share it with the audience and you go, can you give me more video ideas? And just to give you an idea, I take this extreme. I actually write my content three years in advance. Oh, wow. Because I get so much ideas that I write everything so quick, especially during the holidays. What else do I have more to do besides guesting on shows? I just write more content. So I'm closing on 2023 now. So I don't even have to think about my content. All I have to think about now is showing up, adding value and coaching my clients. That's it. Done. So let's talk about, okay, People are actually um, going through and chatting about, oh, I have, somebody's car is going off. Sorry about that. It's okay. I don't know whose car. <sighs> it's one thing about doing in the neighborhood. You can't have all that noise. Because I can't do the earphones because they just drive me crazy. That's but um, let's talk about um, the content. Like you said, you said you have content out till 2023. What happens if something comes up and it's more pertinent? Do you switch around content? Are you flexible? You have to be flexible when that comes around as well? Absolutely. You know, for me, it's always do more than do less. And the sense of the more that you do, the more you know, the more videos you have in the bank. So you're not worried. You're not, let's say you're at a party and you're at a family gathering on a Saturday evening and you haven't posted that week. So now you're just panicking for no reason. Mm. You're just like, crap, I got to post tomorrow and I forgot. I, I, I try to make life as easy as possible for anyone who wants to create content. If you create your content like me three years in advance, I could literally go on vacation for six months. YouTube's still posting videos every week for me. Even if it's not trending or up to date, the, the content I always try to create is stuff that's going to be relevant 10 years from now. Like the stuff like puzzle is always going to be relevant. Mm -hmm. 
forever for like the rest of human unless people don't know what puzzles is anymore then i have to use a different analogy but the strategy remains the same so that's that's what i recommend people do especially thought leaders who are listening uh, your content is going to live forever and the best way to, to house that content is definitely youtube okay and that's another question that i have how often do you video do you batch videos like you got it I, time I, or you got it i like just yeah last week i was with my video editor recorded eight videos in a day and this week I'm, I'm meeting him again recording another 13. once again i don't recommend this for most people this is very i'm very intense on the platform i take it very seriously so i'd say for most people out there you want to try and record two three videos in a day okay right two three maybe four i would start with two keep things simple because remember if you're recording two videos every week and you're posting once a week you, you gain a huge lead over your content mm -hmm. right and then you'll get to my level where you're kind of just there like well i'm a year ahead of time now let me just go spend time with my family my content strategy sorted out which that kind of brings me to my next question how do you set boundaries so that you don't you're not recording every single solitary day four or five sessions a day how do you set boundaries that's the key. The, the key is to set up yourself in a way that makes sense. So for me, what makes sense is once a week forever. I, I You won't see me posting twice a week. I'll burn out. It's too much, too much content. It's too much creation because I really spend a lot of time making it perfect. So for me, it's like what I'm comfortable with because I don't have a family. I'm still single. I don't have all those commitments. It's let me just take that lead. Because I know I'm going to be on YouTube 10 years, and if, assuming YouTube's still relevant in 10 years, I'll still be on it in 10 years. So for me, it's let me just create content for the platform for the next 5, 10 years. And even if YouTube dies, I can still use that content for other stuff, whatever's going to be relevant in, that, mm -hmm. in those number of years. So that's what I recommend people do is, is to start thinking in that way is what, what are you comfortable with? And I, and I generally recommend once a week is the best. That's what people, that's what's comfortable, if you, especially if you're just doing interviews. You do three interviews in a day, you're done for three weeks. That, so that's what I recommend. Find a content schedule that you're comfortable with and, and stick to it. I love that. So when you come to scheduling, you kind of have to make sure that you stand by your goals, stand by what you want to do instead of what ever, when everybody else is available as well, right? Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about scheduling on YouTube. How do you do that? Because I know a lot of people are like, what schedule? I'm scared. I don't know what to do, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So so what I would say is the best piece of advice I have for scheduling is don't worry about it. I, I think for me, the big thing is just getting started. Just post a couple of videos. And then over time, what will happen is you'll start to get into that flavor. Like when you started the show, you weren't really sure what the schedule was. You kind of just figured it out. And then after episode seven, you're like, okay, let me actually do this once a week. Or maybe let me do it twice a week. And then you start to, to find that flow. But I'd say for for big, for most part, most people listening, it's momentum. Just start doing it. You know, for me, my first video, it took me a month just to post it. I'm so scared to post it. Then after that, now, now I'm not scared anymore. So, so that's what I want for people. Oh, I love that. So is there any last tips before we kind of say goodbye? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think the big thing I would love to leave people with, Melissa, is this idea that the reason I started what I did is because I think everyone has a great idea worth sharing. It doesn't need to be a YouTube channel. It doesn't need to be a podcast. It just needs to be a conversation you always wanted to have with somebody, something you want to share with them. So I encourage all of you, especially those who have stayed until the end, to take the advice that we're showing you right now and take action on it. 
Like there's so many amazing people out there who want to hear your ideas in the same way Melissa had her insecurities, I had mine. But now we're grateful. We're, we 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 don't regret the decision because you know there's hundreds of people who rely on us now in our content, and there's so much fulfillment that comes from us. But we don't have to be the exception. We're the norm. That's the conversation today that I really want to drive. Is I want you all to be those people too, down the line, and let me know uh, during the journey how it's going, and and uh, I, I'll be the first to to celebrate with you. I love that. So where can people find you again? Absolutely. So the best way to find me is Master Talk. So YouTube, just go on YouTube and type Master Talk in one word. And all of the content, all of the questions you might have will probably be answered on the channel there. And then if they can't find the answer that they want to actually um, talk to you, um, then they just email you or just message you through YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. So all my contact information, my email, my Instagram handle, all the ways of getting in touch is all in uh, all on the YouTube channel. So feel free to just check that out and send me an email if you need anything. Happy to engage. Okay. And I want to thank you for joining us on Chats from the Block, Kevin. Of course, Mel. Thanks for having me. All right. We will see you on the next chat from the Block, Kevin. Bye, guys. Brendan really gave him some great tips. I think I outed myself as well. I could stand up in front of a crowd, group of kids all day long and teach and off the top of my head, I wouldn't even really have a lesson plan prepared and I'd be perfectly fine. But get me in front of a group of adults or a group of my peers, my knees start shaking, my butterflies in my stomach start growing, going and I start chatting a mile a minute and I'm shaking like crazy and yeah you can hardly understand and like when I sit down I'm like I'm so glad it was over now look at me now I have host weekly pod bi-weekly podcast I have a Facebook live show I'm chatting with people I have never met before like it's nothing and yeah so it goes to show that yeah anybody can if I can do it anybody can do it so I really enjoyed talking to Brendan and it's been, it was a great honor that he actually took time out of his busy schedule because he's still in the university um, and his job as well to come and chat with us. Um, I really love the fact that he talked about how he batch chats now. Like he goes in and he shoots a couple of videos and goes through and does that. And I actually have learned a lot from him. Sometimes I do batch um, some of the talks like today I have two chats actually scheduled for today and I'm trying to do the podcast as well so I go in between the podcast I go ahead and upload on the podcast and then I'll go okay I need to record so I'm trying to work smarter not harder so I've learned a few tips from him like that so I hope you really enjoyed our chat guys I want to thank you for being part of the podcast family and I would love if you would leave me a rating or a review because that helps get my stuff in front of other people. And I hope you learned a lot of tips from Brandon. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Be blessed. And remember, keep chatting. <laughs>